Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. So, with that this morning, I would like to share with you some thoughts. I think... Um, my style of Christianity is an experiential one. I love to just be in the presence of God. I love to take that time. And I love to be reminded of what I would see as quite foundational uh, notions of our faith. And I loved Steve, Steve's message last week speaking from Psalm. Psalm is my favorite book in the Bible. And just these key kind of reminders to anchor ourselves to. And I thought... The fruit of the Spirit is something for me which I've heard a lot about throughout my life. And I think it's one of these key things as Christians that we know about, hear about, and it's kind of one of the foundational things of our faith, subjects of our faith. And so I wanted to revisit it this morning and just kind of delve into it a little bit deeper because there's a few things I realized reading the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians that I think I'd probably just swept over before and not really understood So it was kind of a bit of an exercise for me to kind of learn a little bit more. And I'm hoping that it resonates with you this morning. And if it doesn't, I'm sort of okay with that because I learned something in the process. So, but in saying that, um, I, I hope that, yeah, as I say, you guys get something out of it this morning. So as I said, I was um, inspired by Steve's message last week, some kind of key tenets of our faith. And I was reading Galatians, and I was reading verses 13 uh, to 26 of chapter 5. And um, in the NIV translation, this little bit of scripture is called Life by the Spirit. And it's quite a few verses, but I'd like us to read um, verses 13 to 26 together. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, 
or forbearance in this translation. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Since those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So that's a hefty bit of scripture. And I wanted to know a little bit more about the context in which it was written. So we learned that it was written by Paul in sometime between 50 and 58 AD. So it was really not that long after Jesus' death. Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, and I think we need to remember that these churches were not the churches that we have today, but more or less collections or groups of people following in what um, one text I was reading called the Jesus Movement. So they kind of, you know, now we might call it Christianity, but at the time there wasn't that term for it. It was basically a bunch of Jews that were following the teachings of Jesus. And the churches in Galatia uh, had a number of leaders who were all disputing with one another about issues of belief, practice, and authority. And their main issue was actually around Gentiles um, being part of this whole Jesus movement. And Paul is writing to kind of clear all of this up. So this, this piece of scripture is Paul, part of Paul's letter to these churches trying to clear up these issues of belief, practice, and authority. And in particular, chapters 5, in which we find these verses, and chapter 6 calls upon the Galatians to basically form a harmonious community, bound by solidarity and concern for others. So as I say, it's in this verse that we hear about Paul really calling people to kind of come together as a community and do certain things. It was corrective teaching. In verses 22 and 23, we find Paul listing off a number of fruits of the Spirit, which I think really means the outworking of the Spirit living within us. And what you find in the scripture is this is set in direct contrast to what a number of texts call vices, or what we might call sin, immoralities, or kind of bad things. Paul calls them acts or desires of the flesh, And the Greek word used there refers to the sinful nature of human beings. This literary device or tool or structure of contrasting two things was quite common in this time period. So a lot of authors were actually using this compare and contrast uh, type structure. So it would have been very common to Paul's audience. They would have been familiar with this type of style of writing. And the purpose of it was not necessarily to state the obvious, but to highlight important differences between, for Paul, living out of the flesh or our sinful nature and living out of the spirit. Essentially, when you look at these two things in contrast to one another, it becomes very clear that what Paul, I think, is saying is that our sinful nature actually won't get us anywhere. Living out of that is not actually going to get us anywhere. And I love the way the Message Bible puts it. So I'd love for us to have a look at verses 19 to 21 in the Message Bible. 
this is kind of the, the kind of key point, I think, part of this whole contrasting. The Message Bible says it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time or living out of the selfish nature. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of a mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everything into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. And then Paul says, I could go on. That's hefty stuff. He then goes on to say, again using the message translation, that instead, if we live by the Spirit, if we live out of the Spirit, if we're living in God's way, he brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit would appear in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction and a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies widely. Earlier on in the passage, Paul explains that the Galatians, you can read us into this if you want to, are called by God to be free and not to use their freedom as an excuse to do whatever they want. I think there is this easily mistaken notion that comes with having been made free, that we're free to do whatever we want, be whatever we want, that we have complete freedom in all and every area of our lives. But Paul actually refutes this in this passage. And he says that doing this, living our own way, is actually going to destroy our freedom. But instead, if we use our freedom to love others, freedom will grow. Which is one of these kind of backwards things that you see all over the Bible. Paul says that loving others as we love ourselves is an act of true freedom. So if we are not to use our freedom, So we are not to use our freedom for self-indulgence, but actually for the benefit of others. Why is this an act of true freedom? Well, Paul explains that because living otherwise, so living following our sinful nature, following the desires of the flesh, will actually have a negative impact on the community and those around us. Again, as the message puts it in verse 15, It says, if you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? So instead, Paul advises the Galatians to walk by the Spirit, to invite the Holy Spirit to be with them, to dwell with them, to hang out with them, to live motivated by His Spirit. Because God's Spirit opposes what the flesh and our sinful natures desire. So if we're living by the Spirit, we're going to be opposed 
to the things of the flesh and our sinful natures. Remember that Paul is correcting the Galatians and he's telling them, this is the right belief, this is the right practice for you. Within the group of believers, you can live harmoniously. So I think there's a little key in there for us that we can take today. I know for myself that I need a constant reminder of God's given freedom in my life, that I'm to use it for the benefit of others, that I'm not to follow the desires that may be sinful, but actually to live out of the Spirit, not to live a life that I choose, a life that goes my own way, but one that is lived out of and reflects the Holy Spirit, which, as Paul says to the Galatians, is ultimately going to impact others, be for the benefit of others, and bring the community together. So I think we need to draw on the Holy Spirit. We need to spend time with him. We need to let him lead us so that our lives can demonstrate those fruits that Paul is talking about. Because when the Holy Spirit is outworked within us, there is love, there is joy, there is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control evident in our lives. It's the Spirit's purpose to make Christ known, and by doing and outworking these things, people can see Christ through us and in us. So as I was thinking more about these, these fruits of the Spirit and the outworking of them, I was going through the list quite systematically, and I thought, what is goodness? Like, we, we kind of start churning through all this list, love, joy, peace, patience, And I think to a certain extent we all have a bit of an understanding of what love is, what joy is, what peace, patience. I'm sure we all know what that is. But what about goodness? I don't don't know. I think we, we could probably, if we had to, all give a definition of what we think goodness is. But I didn't know what Paul was actually getting at by listing it as a fruit of the Spirit here. So this is where I say it was sort of my own journey of discovery to kind of look into this a little bit more. What does goodness mean and why is Paul using it? And I think it's partly because of maybe, maybe my legal training, but we're kind of taught that specific words are used in specific contexts and you need to understand what those mean. And so I thought, well, why is Paul using this very specific word goodness here? So I began my little investigation by looking at the Greek word, and I'm really sorry, but I do not know how to pronounce it. I think it's probably something like agathosun, A-G-A-T-H-O-S-U-N-E. And essentially what it means is goodness, virtue, big-heartedness, generosity, an uprightness of heart and life. And I thought, that's cool. So it literally just means goodness. So that doesn't really actually help me because the word used is goodness and the Greek word essentially means goodness. So I'm still none the wiser. Then I learned that the same word appears in three other verses in the scriptures. One in Romans 15, 14. And do we have that one, Michael? So the word goodness here is that same Greek word that Paul used in the fruit of the Spirit when in this scripture it says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, 
that you yourselves are full of goodness. So it's that same goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Then we find it again in Ephesians 9, sorry, Ephesians 5 verse 9, and I've got verses 8 to 10 for some wider context. But it says in this verse that you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, that same goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Thirdly, we move on to 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 11, which says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So I think that gives us a little bit of a clue as to the way in which goodness is used. Digging a little bit deeper, I found that there are a number of related Greek words, which again, I'm not going to pronounce. But in English, they basically mean to do good, to be a good doer, or a good lover. So lots of action words. And then when we go to the Tereo Bible, in the Fruit of the Spirit, the word used is narco, which translates to a good heart. So we start to see these uh, ideas of action and something coming from the heart being used in this passage. And so what this definition, these other uses and related words suggested to me is that goodness is both a state of the heart and an action. It's a state of the heart because I think we are good. Goodness is in us. It's who we are. It's not something we strive for, something that we create, but rather it's something we are by virtue of God's spirit being within us and working through us out of the transformative power of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are good because God has made us good, like I say, by the transforming power of his spirit. We have to remember that doing good doesn't make us good, that we actually are good because God is good. The second thing I think goodness is, is an action. Goodness is doing good, right, and helpful things. I think it's placing the needs of others before our own. I think it's actions from a place of selflessness, actions from a place of what God has done for us. So it's it's almost an action that's a reaction from what God has done for us. Another way of putting it is righteousness or holiness in action. And I think an important thing here to remember is that motivation is key. It's not just a good action for the sake of having another good action, but it's actually to point to Christ. We do it out of a reaction of what Christ has done for us. Something else I think that goodness, well, it's really what goodness is not. I think that goodness is not the absence of wrongdoing. 
So I don't think goodness is simply not being jealous, not being envious, not getting angry. I don't think goodness is simply not doing all those things that Paul listed in Galatians that we shouldn't do. The absence of evil or wrong is not what quantifies us as good, but rather I think what quantifies us as good is that we are good because God calls us good through what Christ has done for us. So so don't get me wrong, I think that refraining from doing good is a good thing. We should definitely not do those things that Paul said we should not do. But I don't think that is the fruit of the Spirit. I think that goodness as a fruit of the Spirit is demonstrative. I think it actually requires a positive action. And I was kind of talking this concept through with my dad, and I said, this is just what I get out of reading the Scriptures, by the way. So feel free to disagree with me. I'm cool with that. But I think that goodness requires a positive action. We can literally sit in our room under a blanket, not talk to anyone, never get jealous, never get angry, never do anything bad. So for all intents and purposes, we're sort of in a neutral position. We're not actually doing anything bad, but we're not actually doing anything good. And while it is good not to do bad, how, who are we helping if we're just sitting there not doing anything bad? I don't think we're getting to the heart of what Paul was getting at in the scripture, which is actually outworking the spirit for the benefit of other people. If we're just sitting in our room, not doing anything bad, I would argue we're not actually doing anything good. We're not actually outworking the spirit that is within us. And when I said this to Brett, he's like, provide me with an example. And I said, well, I think Jesus is our example. Because Jesus, as we know, was completely sinless. He did not commit one sin, which is insane and incredible. But he walked to this earth as a completely sinless man. Yet it's not, that's part of what we know about him, but what we are more familiar with is his actions. The things that he actually did for people. The people that he healed, that he talked to, that he made time for, that he raised from the dead. It was his actions was an outworking of the Spirit that we really know him for, and we are called to live with Christ as our example. So I think while Jesus was completely sinless, that's not where it ended. He didn't just walk around here not doing anything wrong. He actually did some really, really great stuff. And so I think the fruit, goodness as a fruit of the Spirit needs to be demonstrative. I think it actually requires positive action. And something that, again, I was talking to my dad about is how, you know, a plum tree is a plum tree, whether it's bearing fruit or not. It's still a plum tree. So whether we're actually outworking goodness in our lives, we're still good. Remember that. We're still good. However, it's the fruit of the plum tree that, to the untrained eye, (laughs) demonstrates that it's a plum tree. So a plum tree is a plum tree, whether it's bearing fruit or not. But it's the fruit that it bears that clearly demonstrates what it is. And I think it's the same for us. We're good no matter what we do. We are good because God is good and he's called us to be good. 
But we won't be demonstrating that to many people unless we're actually demonstrating that. So like I say, I think goodness in the context of bearing fruit is evidence of the spirit within us and it's a positive action and it's that positive action which is going to have the greatest impact on humanity. When we're not outworking goodness, not taking positive and helpful actions, rather simply not doing bad things, people won't necessarily see Christ and won't necessarily benefit from us living with the Spirit. I think it's doing good what cha- is what changes the world, and I think Paul knew this and is why he listed goodness as a fruit of the Spirit. So to kind of wrap up, and Troy, if you're happy to get back on the keys, that'd be great. I think it's important to think about how we can outwork goodness in our lives. Remembering that it is a fruit of the Spirit, it's an outworking of the Spirit, living within us for the benefit of others. The first thing we can do to outwork goodness in our lives is to remember that you are good because God has made you good by His Spirit, living within you, therefore you have the capacity to do good. Sometimes, let's be honest, we might not feel like doing good. We might want to get angry. We might be super envious of that awesome Christmas present that that person got thinking ahead to Christmas Day. But we need to remember that because we are good, we have the capacity to do good. Whether we feel like doing it or not, the option is there for you. Another way that can help our work, goodness in our lives, is to just spend time with the Spirit. Again, we see Jesus as our example. How many times did he draw away from the crowds to just spend time with the Father and the Holy Spirit? Let the Spirit remind you who you are. Another way we can outwork goodness in our lives is actually just to do it. You're probably already doing it now, and you probably already know what are good actions to take and what aren't in any given situation. I think doing good is anything that will benefit those around us. And a way we can outwork it is just to do it. I'm currently seconded into a team. There's three of us. Two of them are runners and really good runners. And I'm not a runner, but they implemented Friday team runs. So I've now become some kind of jogger. And I've realized that actually the only way to become a runner is to just run. That's actually, it's like as simple as that. And so many times I'm like, oh, I just don't want to go for a run. But I have the capacity to run. And I know we're going to be doing a run on Friday. So I might as well do that run on Wednesday, get it in there, get one step ahead of the game so I'm not dead on Friday. And I've realized actually the only way to run is just to run. So I just put my shoes on and go. And I I try not to think about it because if I think about it, then I'm like, oh, maybe I'm too tired. Just do it. And I think goodness is the same. Just do it. Actually, just do it. 
don't think too, it's not a complicated thing. It's really not. Like the more I tried to delve into this, I'm like, surely there must be some catch here. But I don't think there is. Like just actually just do it. And like I say, you will know. You will all know when it is a good time to do a good thing. You have that capacity. Just do it. And I think on a very basic level, doing good reminds us that we are good by the spirit that is within us. And when we're reminded, we're more likely to do more good. I'm more likely to go for another run once I've been for a run. And then I'm like, oh, I ran longer that time. That's awesome. And then I'm more likely to run again and again. And I think goodness is exactly the same. It doesn't have to be a big act. I think Jesus wins that. You're never going to show more goodness than giving your life for humanity. But we can be encouraged to use that as our benchmark. We can do good in the small acts of our daily lives. We can do good in the big, more demonstrative, well-thought-out acts. Like I said, Jesus made time to feed the hungry, to sit and talk with people, most of them deemed outcast by society. And he laid down his life for us. But in his, his parables, we see so many examples of people doing good. I think the Good Samaritan is a classic one, right? I think it's interesting that it's called the Good Samaritan. In the sense that it really was a state of his heart and it was an action motivated by selflessness. So I encourage you to take the opportunity to demonstrate goodness, to have a big heart in your daily life. As I say, you're probably doing it already, but just be practical about this. Do something for the benefit of those around you. Bring your community closer. Don't do something out of selfish ambition, but do it because Christ is in you and he loves you.